the, yeah, the, the, the app took a major step backwards when I upgraded it. And so now I'm in this like divot where I've got literally nothing to lose. So I'm just upgrading as soon as it appears. So this is, this is like last week's, um, who knows why it shut down the whole, like, you know, the cave collapsed and we died. The cave collapsed and we died. And then also I got kicked out early and then had to come yeah. back in. Yeah. Hey, I mean, hey guys, I, I actually looked into that. So apparently, oh, cool. oh. apparently Twitter thought it lost Brian's connectivity and shut down because he was the host. I, I suggested maybe they shouldn't do that when there's a co-host. Uh, yeah, uh, Tom, uh, thank you. Our man on the inside. Our man on the inside, I was going to say. I, <laughs> I, I was pretty annoyed when that happened. Too. Well, great. That's Thank you, Tom. That's that's terrific. Well, And, Tom, I'm glad you're here because uh, – all right, so I want to say how we got here. Um, I am reading um, Severo Ornstein's book, um, Computing in the Middle Ages which is a kind of a tongue-in-cheek title. It's like not actually the Middle Ages, um, but the Middle Ages of Computing, A View from the Trenches, 1955 to 1983. And I'm assuming you've not heard of or seen this book, Adam. Definitely not. All right, so this book has all of the appearance of being self-published. I'm not even sure when I got it. It's one of these books that I got at some point in time and somehow was, uh, it wasn't one of the ones in the box, but it was the ones kind of dripping around unread. So um, I picked it up and started reading it. It's it's looks self-published, but it's better than that. It's actually pretty well written. There are a couple of like idiosyncrasies, though. He spells "roll" with a circumflex over the "o." He spells what word do you say? Roll, like this is your role. Like R O L E, but with a circumflex over the "o." I'm glad this actually is making me feel relieved that that I'm having to explain this four times implies that you have not actually seen this. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's this a new is, one on me too. I, it, and this is this feels to me like one upping the New Yorker. Um, I was going to say this sounds like a New Yorker, New Yorker, you know, co-op coordinate. Kind of yeah, exactly. exactly. Like I got I mean, it. It's not. Come on, cool. New Yorker, coordinate. Like no. just give it up. Give yeah. give up the umlaut on coordinate. Um. <laughs> But now you know I get it. I now kind of like well you know now don't give it up now. I mean now you've done it for so long. But so the circumflex on O I had not, and the circumflex denotes apparently I thought it was a dropped S, but apparently it denotes a dropped consonant. So that is like I guess roll was spelled R O L L E. Well thank God he put the circumflex on there to <laughs> I, differentiate I mean, from the when, original French in like the nineteen eighties. <laughs> like when 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 or, was this distinction so important that it needed or, to be made? Or sixteen eighties. So th this book was actually written in two thousand two, um, but but it's good. I mean, it's like I said, it it, it, it it's good. Um, it's well written, which I feel is like um, it sent me to the dictionary a couple of times, which I always like. Um, have you? Now, this is not a Scrabble word. We, we, you and I both know we can we can speak honestly here that your vocabulary is primarily centered around Scrabble. Oh, primarily, but I know other words. Yes, <laughs> you know other words. Okay. okay. Uh, badinage. Have you heard that word before? No. No. B a d i n a g e. Badinage, which it's is great, like it's a great Scrabble word, by the way. Is that a good Scrabble word? Oh yeah, it's a killer. I guess it is because it's like that could be a whole rack and it's, it's a bunch it's, of consonants. Exactly. Actually, common letters. Yeah. Now I'm really <laughs> up in my game. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. So I, this is news you can use then. Yeah. So badinage, humorous or witty conversations like banter. I'm like, nice. I'm, I like, why, why, I mean, okay. Like 
I feel like I engage in badinage, and I have not known this word, but like at least I had the excuse of not really being a Scrabble player. I feel you've got like less of an excuse on this one. That's fair. Well, I am very poorly educated. So <laughs> but you played a lot of Scrabble, though. That's on the other <laughs> yeah, side of it. Right, exactly. So, uh, anyway, good book. Um, and this guy has had a really interesting life, actually. Um, and uh, he's still alive, but he's... Um, so he uh, worked on the Link, which I did not know anything. Of. They worked on the TX2. So this is like whirlwind era. This is super old machines, Adam. And so he's working on the uh, the TX2 and the Link, which was really kind of the, I would say, one of the first interactive computers, it feels like. Tom, is that a... <laughs> is, is that speaking fairly? For the first personal computer, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they... They, they kind of call it the first personal computer. I, I, I hesitate to quite call it a personal computer because the thing is gigantic. I mean, it's like refrigerator well, not, not personal in the sense that you would, like, put it in your living room, but personal in the sense that it was designed to be used by a single individual one time. The right, right, which they call... You know, they, they kind of alternate between, like, real-time, and it's certainly interactive. Really interesting machine, though, um, and I just didn't really know much about it. Uh, Wes Clark, I didn't know anything about, um, but really interesting, uh, kind of the architect of that. Um, fascinating guy. Um, he, he died in 2016. But the, um, and so he goes kind of all over the place. I mean, he is at the link, and then he kind of does some other stuff, and then he, he ends up working at BBN on this bid for the, for the ARPANET. So he ends up building... The, he's the, he works on the first team building the the imp uh, the interface message processor. Um, and it actually, Tom, do you know him? Or is no, I, the name kind of rings a bell, but I don't know. And it, it, he's he's a he's a bit. I mean, he's kind of like a generation and a half, maybe. But I, someone you may have had overlap with. But so the thing I, that kind of latched onto that I thought was interesting was. He he has his. And do you mind if I just read aloud? You should read that aloud. Right, yeah. It's a great right. quote. All right. So before I leave the ARPANET and its offspring, the internet, I feel obliged to comment on what has happened in recent years to his paternity, as its importance has become obvious to everyone, even to me. Uh, So-called fathers, in quotes, have been cropping up all over the place. It's the same old story of the press identifying and and celebrating certain individuals as the father of the Internet, whereas, in truth, the thing came about as a result of the convergence of numerous technical developments and the ideas and energies of a large number of individuals. Although some people were obviously more central and influential than others, trying to point out any one person or a few individuals is responsible for either the end result or the vision is absurd. Nonetheless, regrettably, a number of former colleagues, apparently you know who you are, have allowed themselves to be singled out and celebrated as particularly important figures, whereas others, probably even more central, who are by nature more reticent, having received far less attention. And so I'm like, wait a minute, who's he talking about? He's clearly got someone in mind. Uh, and and nope, nope. Uh, uh, Tom, I think, Tom, I think it's an echo. Uh, the so he clearly has got someone very explicitly in mind. Um, and I I wondered if he had in mind. And this is where, and Adam, I did tell you I was going to tell you my my Don Knuth story. Yes. Um, 
And Dan, you're going to have to forgive me the repeat because Dan actually just heard this one, heard this one recently as he was out here in California. Um, so the, I wondered if it was the same uh, Internet of the Pioneer, or the Internet Pioneer, putative file of the Internet that I had run into. And I ran into this person at a one of these, you know, banquets with kind of various muckety mucks. Actually, Bridget was there with me. And was this um, like an, an ACM thing? Yeah, this was like it was a computer history thing. And I can't, I mean, God only knows why I was, I mean, whoever made the mistake of inviting me, I actually think that, you know what, I, this was through, I want to say Bobby Johnston, who I think you, you also know Bobby, right? Adam from Facebook. And Bobby's been associated with the Computer History Museum. They had asked uh, him to join either their, I think it was like their youth advisory board, even though Bobby and I were both, I think, in our late thirties at the time. Um, But uh, Bobby's great. And I think he'd, um, gotten us we went to this kind of this banquet with a bunch of like uh um corbato was there which was great accepting an award about project mac which was really interesting um but among the people that are there are don knuth and i'm like oh my god you know it's don knuth and i you know i've not i had never met knuth and uh and bridget was actually in i encouraged me he's like you know you should go up and and talk to him because i in particular, what I wanted to talk with him about is um, I have a copy of Don Knuth's senior thesis from his undergraduate, from Case. And did you know this, Adam? No, and uh, so, I mean, I'll, I can defer, but I want to know, you know, how you got that and who, who's so, like attic you ransacked. I, well, listen, no one as far as you know. Listen, it's all – uh, no, <laughs> I, I was just on – I went through this period where, and I know Tom, you've gone through similar kind of phases where I, I became concerned that we that history was being literally lost, um, that there was like manuals that were being documentation was being destroyed, that we didn't have a way of recreating. This was kind of before we kind of scanned everything. Now I'm actually less concerned about that, and there's lots of great stuff in archives and so on. So, but I went through this like this period in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, where I was concerned about this. So I was looking for uh, used books just to buy like old manuals in part to just because they're, you know, no Tom also collects old manuals. Um, they're really fun. Um, and you also feel like you're, you're preserving important history. And in doing that, I just ran across this copy of on a books of Don Knuth's senior thesis. And I'm like, well, Jesus, I'm definitely buying this. And it is uh, like mimeographed, but, but stamped from case. And this is on soap three, which was an optimizing assembler for the 650. So the 650 is a drum-based machine. Um, so what super early computer. And do you know anything about these optimizing assemblers, Adam? No, no, not at all. Oh, these are amazing. So this is so the the drum-based machines have what's called one plus one addressing, where every instruction has the address every instruction has basically a, a branch always every instruction has the the address of the next instruction to execute and the reason you do that is because then you have an optimizing assembler which figures out how long each instruction is going to take to execute and makes sure that it organizes the drum such that when you go to execute that instruction oh lo and behold it's the one that's going be in the coming around the mountain here and the story of Mel, the last real programmer, for those right. who have read it, right, on the, on the Libroscope, the LGP-35, is a drum-based machine, um, if that rings any bells. Um, so 
Anyway, I've got this. So, this, and Knuth talks about this in his selected papers on computer science. He talks about his work on this op on optimizing assembler. So, I am. I'm actually also just like curious about like how many people, how many copies of this thing are there? I mean, not from a value perspective, but more just like it just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like there's that many copies, but I mean, this guy's obviously going to know. So, so do, do you lead with that? Be like, uh, I yes, mean, of course. <laughs> oh, you, I feel, and I, so don't you think? like Chris Farley, you know, Hey, remember when you wrote your thesis? Oh, that well, awesome. it, 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 no, exactly. <laughs> Do you do you remember John Beck telling us about meeting Steve Young? <laughs> no. So similar kind of story. A friend of ours who was in an airport. If you'll forgive a tangent on tangent, and and like Steve Young is is like waiting in baggage claim, and this is in San Francisco. So there is like a Steve Young, uh, certainly not the greatest quarterback to play the game because I'm from Denver, but but he <laughs> but, but, but awfully good, up awfully there, good, up there. out there, out there. I mean, they're definitely out there. So. There's and there's this like thirty foot radius of, of of a you know no man's land around Steve Young because everyone like is afraid to approach him and no one wants to waste his time whatever, and everyone's trying to be respectful of the fact that you know this this is just a celebrity trying to you know get his bags, and a similar situation in that Peggy John's wife was like you gotta come on like you're a huge Steve Young fan like you gotta go say something, and so I don't know if you recall do you recall what he said to him he said no. you know. Aren't, weren't you in uh, – I guess he had like a cameo in Superboy or something or like the, <laughs> the Adventures of Young Super – he had some cameo in some like super obscure thing that only a ridiculous super fan would know. He's like, do I recognize you from the Adventures of Superboy? And Steve Young started laughing and it was a good like – yeah, killer, perfect. right? Yeah. Perfect. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're old friends and it's the highlight of John's life. Okay, so I, taking a page from this book. I am going to go. This is my Steve Young moment with Don Knuth. I am very excited, but I obviously I'm also want to be very respectful of and and I gotta say, Don Knuth. I, I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating. He's wearing like wizard's robes. I think. <laughs> I choose I, to believe that. Yeah, I, let's choose to believe that for the moment. I don't think I'm that far off. I mean, he definitely has got like a wizard like getup that he's wearing, and I mean appropriately. Like if we've got a modern Merlin in him. All right, so. I, uh, I'm like, hey, you know, I, you know, Professor Knuth, I, I, ha- I have a copy of your undergraduate thesis from Case. And he looks at me kind of wide-eyed. He says, how do you have a copy of that? And I explained how I got it. And I, and I'm like, you know, but you know, and I really enjoyed it. And I start to, ask, you know, asking him questions about the 650 and SOAP 3, this program he'd written, this symbolic optimizing assembler program with SOAP. And the highlight of my life is happening right now. Don Knuth is like, is clearly taken with my interest in SOAP 3 and is beginning to tell me stories about the 650 at case in whatever it is, 1957 or whatever. And I'm like, this is, my life is a dream right now, right? He gets like a paragraph in, no more than that. He gets, you know, maybe... 15 seconds into this, into the highlight of my life, when into this conversation crash lands Bob Kahn. Do you know what Bob Kahn is, Adam? Uh, I, I do know that I've done a little research on <laughs> some of his other shenanigans. Right. Bob Kahn shared the touring award with Vince Cerf. And 
he it is like I am not it is like I am literally not there. He he I, I mean I without exaggeration crash lands into the conversation. He's like, "Hey Don, how you doing, Don?" And you could just see Knuth recoil. I mean, if you have any mirror <laughs> neurons whatsoever, you'd be thinking to yourself, this I, this person was engaged in a much more interesting conversation than I'm about to inflict upon him. He just looks so uncomfortable. He's like, well, how's it going? How's it going? And then, and I, I won't disclose exact details because they're definitely, he asks him how, you know, kind of a casual, how's it going? Knuth replies by disclosing a, an awkward health detail. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do? Like, am I, I, what's going on right now? Like, I don't even know what the protocol is. But then it's kind of clear to me that he's being very awkward about the way he lays this out there. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy is like a self-defense mechanism. This guy is like, I'm going to lay out this awkward personal detail to make you go away. I'm just going to poison pill this conversation. I'm going to poison pill. That's exactly what it is. I'm going to poison pill this conversation. And and Bob Kahn just does not see the stop stop sign at all and just drives right over it. And then Don Knuth runs away. I mean, like 180s and just hightails it. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? I was having the best moment of my, my life was reaching its apex. And now I'm sitting here and Khan is now staring awkwardly at me. And he looks down and reads my name tag, which reveals that I'm like, nobody. <laughs> that's, that's your title. On there. <laughs> that's my title. Nobody actually, in particular. They, they, they actually give you a different colored badge if you're nobody. So, you know, I got, I'm wearing the, 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 the nobody colored badge. And then he's like shrugs and walks off. <laughs> Mission accomplished, Bob. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I ruined this nobody's life. It's I'm done. Uh, And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? What the fuck just happened? So I then so when I'm reading this passage, I'm like, wait a minute. I know an internet pioneer who I you know, I don't know that much about him, but I know he crash landed in a conversation. I didn't like it very much. Um and sure enough, he is actually talking, I think, about several people, but I think he is definitely talking about Bob Kahn among them. I think that his view is that Bob Kahn and Larry Roberts and a couple of these other folks, to a, much, to a degree but lesser degree, Vince Cerf, I think his knock on them, which I think is kind of interesting, is not that the, you know, these guys weren't essential or didn't do a lot of work, but that just that they are allowing themselves to be singled out, which I thought was an interesting way of phrasing it. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, to your point in your tweet, like something that we've seen, right, Both on both sides of it, both, um, you know, folks stepping into the spotlight and other folks allowing them or, or stepping out of it. Yes, and I feel we've definitely seen this. And I think it's part of the reason why it's incumbent upon those, it, it, like, we, I mean, we, first of all, like we, I, and I, I really love the way he phrased this about, you know, there are a lot of factors that go into a technology being important. And it's, it, there are often a lot of people, there are a lot of factors outside of those people. And you really can't, it's irresponsible for single individuals to claim responsibility. But Adam, you're making a good, very good point about like, the other problem is that when someone claims the spotlight, other people will recoil because they're introverted or whatever, when they shouldn't. And 
And then you end up with this, like, well, now we got a situation where, you know, it's it kind of sucks, honestly, um, because it, it just it's unfortunate. I don't know. And so did you read uh, this this um, oral history with Bob Taylor from the Computer History Museum? Yeah, I thought that. Yeah. What, did you read that? Yeah. Well, I, at least I read I, I think the part about Bob Kahn. Um, can I, can I read it? Yeah, 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 please. Okay. Yeah, 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 go for it. And there were probably three or four other chaps who were a member of Frank Hurt's team, the most junior of which was Robert Kahn, Bob Kahn. Bob Kahn was a theoretician. The rest of the people were fundamentally systems people, and this was a systems problem. The systems design was called for, and the system had to be designed and built. So in system design meetings, Kahn would be in attendance, and he would ask question after question because he didn't understand what the rest of them were talking about much of the time. It wasn't his background. And they finally said, look, you're slowing us down, you know, just back off and we'll take care of it. Now, the reason I mention this is because a few years later, Khan claimed, and he has claimed ever since, that he was responsible for the system design of ARPANET. <laughs> Gorgeous. I, yeah, and I think it gets like, I feel like it gets a little bit of the kind of the practitioner versus academic. The, the, the I mean, it, it does feel like uh, the the folks that were more systems minded were being I don't know I mean undermined or kind of forgotten I don't know so so uh, Tom you're obviously a lot closer to all of this than than we were I mean what do you, what do you what do you make of all of it Tom is phoning Bob Kahn from another. <laughs> Ryan, while Tom is doing his thing, I, I, I have my own little Don Knuth story that I forgot to tell you in your car last week. But a few years ago, I was at dinner in a restaurant in New York City, and I thought I saw Don Knuth eating dinner. And so I go up to this guy, and, and I you know say, excuse me, sir, I, I, you know, I'm very sorry to bother you, but are you by chance Professor Knuth? And the guy turns to me, he's like, no, I'm his brother. And it, oh it turned out, well, oh except, God. except, except. The guy had, he was just pulling a prank on me. He had no relationship whatsoever. He's oh, <laughs> just a random guy. So. That's pretty great. Am I, am I back yet? You're back. Yeah, he talked oh, about Weird it. things on my phone. Um, yeah, anyways, I, I didn't meet uh, Surf or, or Khan until late 80s, 90s or whatever. But it, you, at, then it seemed like Bob Khan was far less of the technical guy than the other guys. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I think that, again, I'm not trying to undermine whatever. I mean, I think, you know, his contributions, I'm sure, are important. I think that the, the thing I take issue with is, like, it's your responsibility if the spotlight happens to shine on you because people want an interview or what have you. I really do think it's your responsibility to pull other people in. And it's your responsibility to, like, actually make sure that anyone who's talking to you knows, hey, this is a team effort, and there were a bunch of people involved, and it definitely was not just me by a long shot. I, I, I can uh, tell you from personal experience that it, it can be tiring when somebody decides to put you in the spotlight over and over and over again. You kind of get tired of saying the whole story. Uh, okay, so, Tom, I'll elaborate on that. What do you, because obviously you've been in the spotlight well, a bunch for a bunch yeah, of Yeah, well, I've been, in, been the founder of several companies, right? And so the marketing people are always trying to play me up as, oh, the father of whatever you've heard of that's cool recently. Yeah. And uh, sure, I was involved with a lot of cool stuff, but so were, so were other people. Well, and I got to say, Tom, I mean, so, you, you know, I, I um, 
so often in one's life, you kind of have these people that we make up to be kind of larger than life. And you, you know, they often can't live up to that. Um, and it was, I mean, you and I obviously didn't meet until like maybe what, five or six years ago. And, um, you know, I had always kind of known of you and it was such a joy to meet someone who, I mean, I feel like you've always had boots right on ground and I've always been, I, I, I have always had just an earnest enthusiasm for the domain. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you're someone who I know that I, I'm sure you've gotten very tired of the spotlight, but you have. You've done very well by uh, to uh, by the spotlight. Well, it's, it, it's, it's a balance too, because you know I'm a, I'm an old fart. I'm trying to stake my claim in history as well. So I, <laughs> I, I put myself out there, but I try not to be too egregious. I think it's fair to say that you're not too egregious. I think for whatever it's worth, <laughs> you can. Uh... Um, but and I thought that was you know it, it actually it reminded me of that of reading Steve Jobs the next big thing talking about how you know Sun just by its nature was although far from perfect um, I know that we I mean certainly uh, our thinking was that you were always onto something big when Bill Joy arrived to claim some degree of credit for it I know you, I know you hold Bill very high regard Tom but I think um, I think he also did not hesitate to uh, so I mean. The, I, Adam, when we kind of think about some of these, because um, I, I feel that like the, the lone inventor almost doesn't exist. I mean, I'm just thinking of like, you know, for the, the, the innovations that are most important, I don't think that they've got single inventors really. Uh, absolutely. And I think even, um, I mean, by their nature, they, they can't have a single inventor. And then, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for, like, you know, when someone is claiming credit for things, um, it's hard for other folks to, to kind of call them on that. But it, it's the narrative that people want to tell, right? It's the the, the genius wonderkind that, um, you know, stories want to latch onto. It's simpler. It's, it's more exciting uh, than, you know, the daily grind of lots of people involved. I mean, like the, um, you know, like Showstopper, the, the story of, of Windows NT, um, the you know, as much as Dave Cutler is lionized, it's also clear that like lots of people were involved um, as opposed to Steve Jobs, where you'd think that he invented and, and uh, made every decision on the product. Totally. And I want to remind of our discussion last week too, with Les Davis being playing such an important role at Cray, but being very much, you know, um, not being in the spotlight. I mean, clearly his name wasn't on the, well, the, uh, <laughs> the, the story that popped to my mind when I saw your tweet was, Alexander Graham Bell versus Elisha Gray and the whole race for the patent and all scuttlebutt about did did Alexander Graham Bell bribe the patent attorney who was drunk at the time and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, Tom, I don't feel I know very much about that that history. Yeah, so it's the whole thing with the telephone where the Alexander Graham Bell's patent came in a couple of hours before his rival. Elisha Gray, and uh, there's just all kinds of uh, you know theories that, that didn't really happen that way, and the the patent guy was paid off, and all this kind of stuff. Interesting. Is that? Um, and I'm certainly. I mean, it does kind of have shades of of Edison as right. well. And I, I have to say, when someone, whenever someone is called the Thomas Edison of whatever, 
I'm often thinking to myself, like, yeah, they probably are the Thomas Edison. They are the ones that are, like are claiming credit for the work of others that are putting themselves forward. I mean, they're not. Let's not call them the George Westinghouse, please. Let's make sure we call them the Thomas Edison, not the George Westinghouse. Yeah. So history is full of that kind of stuff, and you know, these guys were kind of working alone, but trying hard to steal each other's ideas. <laughs> Well, and I kind of feel like if you have, when you have the situations where you have this like real race or real, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's it's really confusing because you've got so many disparate groups that are working on something at the same time. I mean, can't you kind of make the argument that like, well, maybe this was going to, this was going to happen anyway. I mean, that this is, the, in, in other words, like the role of the individual is even less when you have these kind of rivals racing. Well, the, well the other one kind of like that is the guy who claimed to invent an email. It's like, well, maybe he did come up with it independently if he was living under a rock the whole time. <laughs> but uh, he yeah, it yeah, who that, that guy, that guy's even worse. Yeah. Okay, because all <laughs> yeah. that guy did. Yeah, so he 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 has some like office that's not far from where I live, and we have some friends who live out in Belmont, Massachusetts. And the way you drive out there from Cambridge. You're always passing his stupid bus. He has this like bus that's his campaign tour bus because he keeps running for the U.S. Senate. And all that guy did was he wrote a program that he called email. Like the name of the program was email. So he's like, yeah, I invented email. And it's like, well, okay. But as a proxy for electronic, you know, electronic mail, there's clearly prior art here. Yeah. You invented email.com. You did not invent. Uh, that's. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and I also, I, I've also felt that like the uh, the people that I have known in my career that have been most uh, prolific and creative, I've also been the ones that have been like least likely to stake their names to things. I mean, they just felt like, you know what I mean? It feels like there's like a a, a sense that when you know people that that are so adamant about holding on to what they have done, like maybe you haven't done very much. I mean, or, or, or they're plagued with self-doubt about their ability to do it or what their actual role truly was. I don't know if there's anything to that. No, I think you're right. I think that the, the folks who, who are prolific and are, are creative don't need to kind of wait around the hoop and celebrate when the ball happens to go in. They, <laughs> right. they know that they'll get lots, lots of other shots, lots of other, other opportunities. You know, I know we've, we, we lionized Jeff Bonwick on this, uh, on this space quite a bit, but I think he, you know, from the slab allocator to ZFS and that stuff in between. And he was never someone who, I mean, he, he shared the spotlight uh, and sometimes too generously with folks who, uh, who had contributed, you know, small amounts or large amounts. Yeah. I mean, I think, sorry, talk, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, my, my own feeling is that, you know, there's some people like me where I can be the father of XYZ technology, but the technologies don't really go very far without, somebody who's parenting them, not just father. <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, exactly. So I have immense respect for like these people who stick with an open source project for 10 or 15 years to really mature it because uh, that's way beyond my focus time. Well, yeah, and I think it, you you get the history of like Rust is really interesting because, it, I mean, there are important individuals in Rust, but it kind of defies it, you know, and, and um I, and I think also, like, that's another one where I feel like Graydon kind of set the tone is someone who is not going to um, make it about himself. Um, maybe in contrast to some other programming languages. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
Um, on, on the other hand, I wanted to ask, are there any famous technologies that do have a soul inventor? Well, for example, when, when I think about VI, the text editor, automatically Bill Joy comes to my mind. Like maybe in the beginning, he was like the soul person. Did, are there any technologies that are famous for that? Okay, yeah, that's interesting in terms of like where are the – I mean, honestly, whenever my brain goes to things, it, I, I, like it's teams that pop into my head, not individuals, honestly. I mean, the incredible individuals that, that, that form an amazing team. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know. Tom, Adam, what are, what are your answers or other people? Well, I think, you know, Bill Joy in particular, he was a prodigious coder back at Berkeley. So he, he was the first guy on an awful lot of stuff, but it was still a, a big team effort going on overall. Well, and I think even like, I mean, someone like Andy Beckleshaw just got so much energy and is such a, such a talent. I mean, we, we all know the folks that Andy, Andy needed, there were a lot of folks that Andy needed around him to, to bring this stuff to, to fruition. And he was a collaborative in that way. Like he didn't try to, you know, so yeah, I don't know. Um, Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking, you know, about my personal experience with folks, because obviously, like, from the outside, you see folks taking credit or not taking credit, and, and it's hard to discern. Uh, but I think I've been fortunate in my career to, to mostly see credit or credit was due, certainly on, on the things that I worked in and around. And only in rare cases uh, were there sort of these free electrons ready to, you know, grab onto some new technology and put themselves at the at, at the front of it and claim credit for it. And I think in those cases, uh, I, I, you know, the small number of cases, I've been disappointed when the the folks who did a lot more weren't more vocal or weren't more didn't agitate harder to get the record straight. Yeah, and you get that you get, kind of get that sense that I, that um, Ornstein kind of feels that way of like, hey. Other folks, you need to like advocate for yourselves a little bit more because you're being you're you're being railroaded by people who will claim this stuff. Which is, um, I also think interesting is uh, some thinking about it. I mean, I do, I also just think again, and reflecting on my own personal history, but also looking at a lot of other technologies too. There, I, I really am a a deep believer that when you get a group of people together, something happens that's beyond the sum of the parts, and where at once, every individual is critical and load-bearing, and yet it's also something beyond the individual. I mean, I, I really think that we need to be thinking more in terms of teams. I actually think – so here's a kind of an interesting question to, to throw out. I think that these, the, these uh, distinguished awards, you know, the ACM Award, Turing Awards, or what have you, I, I don't think that they're, they're a great idea. I actually think that they don't really – I, I wish there were a different way that we could maybe talk about some of the, the breakthroughs without lionizing the individuals. Maybe by focusing more on the individual, I don't know, the individual breakthroughs rather than the person who sits at the top of an ostensibly large pile of those breakthroughs. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather talk about the innovation than the individual. I don't think it's necessary to, uh, and, and I think that, you know, when, and especially now, I mean, I think it would, it was, and I don't know, Tom, what your take is on this. I mean, it, certainly there were folks early in computing that obviously played foundational roles, and you want to kind of you want to recognize those folks. But it, it, you know, 
I'm finding that every year they announce the Turing Awards, I'm just angry. And that's like, that's not good. Like, I feel that, that like the, the science world seems, uh, seems to do this quite well. I mean, there's a lot of broken things in the, in the way that science works. But if you look at like a, like a paper about, I don't know, gravitational waves, you know, de- detecting a collapse of a, you know, a neutron star or something like that. And, you know, it's these people who have these gravitational wave detectors. I mean, those papers have like, I don't know, 300 authors on them. Um, and some of it's back scratching, but you know it's it's like in physics, uh, you know, great inventions basically haven't been an individual activity for a few hundred years. Um, you know, it's team science, and and it's interesting that um, you know we brought up uh, Berkeley because that's that's been like their thing. Like Ernest Lawrence was, yeah, we can't really do physics unless we build big teams, which include engineers that know how to build these machines to do science. On the other hand, there's there's still a fair amount of academic abuse from. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, names to everything. Yeah, science does this very well. Just ask Rosalind Franklin. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you're honestly you're right in terms of like the what in terms of like having big teams of folks on. Um, but then, of course, you get into like then the order of the authors becomes relevant. And I think oh yeah, the people... yeah, there's there's pathologies there. Totally, totally agree. You know, um, Brian, Brian this, yeah. this conversation, was, I don't know if you listened to this, but the Computer History Museum inducted Andy Van Dam, uh, a, a former professor of mine, and I assume of yours as well. Actually, not of mine, but oh, really? I mean, okay. yeah, funnily enough, I've never course them. Yeah, but, but you know, uh, you know it's, Someone I know a, well, a legend, it's a legend of Brown University, um, computer graphics, was the first to develop hypertext and uh, did lots of work in computer graphics textbooks and education and stuff like that. Um, and his... So on one hand, I, I, I hear you on on the not lionizing individuals. On the other, uh, you know, Andy is a lion, and uh, you know he spent the full program kind of ta- talking about all the people who had contributed to all yeah. the different things that he had worked on. And I, so, and someone who aggressively shared credit and 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 has has throughout his career kind of tried to help and prop up folks who had contributed positively around him. So. Yeah, no, no, you you are absolutely right, and that struck me too in his oral history that he did, which I think you pointed me to the oral history he did at the Computer History Museum, and I thought it was outstanding. And you know, you're exactly right, actually, that he, um, he aggressively, and you know, what he reminds me of is Ron Minnick does this. I, I mean, Ron is like if you talk to Ron about anything he's done, he will in the in the next sentence tell you the three people that worked on it with him. And, uh, you know, I think that that speaks so highly of him. And I mean, I think like th- that there's a level which like that is a kind of a greatness where you are, again, you're, you, you take it as your responsibility to make sure that, that other people are getting credit for the work that they've done. And, and the kind of greatness that everyone wants to work around, right? Like, yes. what, what do people know about work, what it was like to work with Steve Jobs, that it, that it sucked and that, <laughs> right. and that you were a nobody with a nobody badge on Right. Um, but, but, you know, working with Andy or, or Ron or, or some of these other greats, you know, that your work is going to be appreciated and shared. Another um, another person I I can think of who has been at least somewhat mythologized as a sole inventor uh, who has been is very open, given credit to his. Sorry. Very openly giving credit to both his predecessors and his contemporaries is uh, Dennis Klatt, the inventor of Deck Talk. Um, and he, so 
uh, by the way, he 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 died fairly young. He so uh, as you guys might recall, Deck Talk came out in 1984. He, yeah, Deck Talk was amazing. We stood. Yeah, Dennis Klatt died in 1988 at age 50. Oh, man. But uh, a couple of years before he died, he compiled this collection of of milestones in the history of speech synthesis going back to the 1950s. And and you can you can just see all of the, the shoulders of the giants that he stood on, as well as the and of course, it it wasn't. It wasn't like he presented deck talk as the final culmination of everything. He he was also showing other he also showed other things that were going on at the same time, including research into other methods of uh, of speech synthesis other than the one other than what he ended up using. So, so that's interesting, and it kind of dovetails in with a, with an observation that certainly I have made in the open source communities, and that is like the open hardware communities tend to be really welcoming, actually, and tend. To, I, mean, I just noticed that like hardware is so hard that it's you, you have to be collaborative and recognizing of the effort that other people have other other people have made. I wonder if there's. Um, because I mean, DeckTalk. This was primarily. This, I mean, this is a hardware device that he developed. Well, I mean, DeckTalk was, as I understand it, um, C code running on a uh, running on a, an early uh, running on one of the early thirty-two bit microprocessors. I I think it. I think the original DeckTalk was using a sixty-eight thousand um, processor. So. But so yeah, it, it it was software, but of course, a lot a lot of his uh, a lot of the earlier researchers of, in speech synthesis um, were working on hardware. Yeah, interesting. We, and I mean, it's kind of interesting to kind of take that lens through history of you know who are the people that have done a a good job either in in his case where you know lone inventor, but but. But putting himself in historical context, or Adam in this case, like with Andy, someone who has been so generous with making sure that they were that they were kind of uplifting a team, that they attract great people around them. And now, interesting, kind of think- interestingly, though, I, Dennis, the, the Wikipedia article on Dennis Klatt mythologizes him a little bit. It describes him as the pioneer of computerized speech synthesis. Oh, interesting, huh? Um. But I actually wonder, you know, Adam, you were reading earlier from from Bob Taylor's um, oral history, and I get the sense that because Tom, did you know? I mean, did you know Bob Taylor was the, I guess, uh, the director at Park, kind of the director of Park. I guess he there it's certainly at Xerox Park, um, but I gather he was a, a pretty popular leader there. Oh yeah, I, I I don't think I ever met him, but. People loved, yeah. He was awesome at recruiting, which is a big reason why Park succeeded, and he had a lot to do with the early internet as well. Now, maybe maybe you guys have already gone, yeah, gone down this road while I was trying to figure out how to rejoin the space on my phone. But uh, since you mentioned Bob Taylor, I wonder if uh, Alan Kay um, <laughs> is, is is would would qualify as one of these. Uh, people that that perhaps get too much credit as a as a sole inventor uh i mean certainly someone who does not hesitate to, to take it um and i think that and 
I mean, clearly, like, Kay's had enormous contributions to the field, but I, I mean, there was a, I think in that same Bob Taylor interview, if I'm recalling correctly, Adam, he also does talk about, like, look, at look, put Dynabook in context here. Um, and it, yes, it's important, but there were a lot of other things happening at the same time. Yeah, I think the kind of the opposite of Alan Kay is probably Doug, Doug Engelbart who did all this stuff, but really wasn't known for it for many years afterwards. Oh, I think Doug uh, eventually got his due. I mean, yeah, yeah. chapter two of Stephen Levy's uh, insanely great about the Macintosh was uh, largely about Doug's work. Huh. And Doug had a brother too, right, Tom? The, um, the, um, I feel like it just came across his brother. Am I? All right, I'm going to go look this up. I have a quick question on, uh, and then maybe some context. So a guy like Michael Stonebreaker, who provided us this series of database invention, I think he's an ACM Turing Award winner, obviously did this in the context of teams. And I don't think it's about lionizing people as much as recognizing, you know, the capabilities and, and potential of teams. And he was a serial entrepreneur as well. What do you guys think about the long-term, like nowadays, if you were to look at any new technology breakthrough, it's all done in massive groups, but you don't think about, you still, you still sort of recognize the either company or the individual leader who, who, who led the charge. And so I think Stonebreaker's of this mold. He's had multiple successful commercial companies. He, you know, I think he was one of the Postgres guys. Um, and now, nowadays, database companies are more always building on the shoulder of giants, but there's still usually some some architect or visionary that takes it forward. Yeah, I, I think that's valid. I mean, venture capitalists are always looking for the the entrepreneur. You know, they get the person who's going to lead the charge, even if even if they know, everyone knows it's a huge team effort. And so, I guess, where, what's the risk in recognizing those people? Is it to essentially always, um, as we do as a culture? make it seem like that's that's an individual's effort as opposed to a team effort. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm not opposed to recognizing the individual. I just like, you just want to make sure, and I think that, that, that the people that are actually swinging the hammer and, and bringing this thing to fruition um, are recognized as being critical. I mean, it's like Stonebreaker's I mean, obviously great and has had a lot of important contributions, but as you say, has had a lot of people around him bringing these these things to fruition i also think that like when these technologies continue to advance I, I, it bothers me a little bit when people leave a technology and then kind of continue to claim credit for its success i mean tom you're talking about the difference between kind of like paternity and parenting <laughs> and and it's and i i, I do think that it's like it, I mean, honestly, like that is the, one of the things that had rubbed me the wrong way about Bill Joy is that I do feel that like you, you can't continue to claim credit for something that you're no longer involved in. You've got to like you, you've got to give make sure that you are giving credit to those folks that are actually solving the kind of the, the, the thankless problems, like the, the problems that are gritty, that are actually honestly just as hard. Uh, oftentimes harder than some of those early problems, um, but they're a lot less glamorous. And th there's a lot of value in solving those problems. So I, yeah. I think we, we we had a phrase in the early days of Sun, you know, Bill Joy complete, 
it, it meant that it would almost compile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I, I also like. I have a hard time with, and maybe I just like suffer from abandonment issues. I have a hard time with people that walk away from things. I have a hard time with, and or maybe I'm just like a dead end, or maybe this is just like my own character flaw. But I am, to me, it's really important to see things all the way through to their their total completion. And I think that if you walk away before that completion, it's too easy to dismiss the heavy work that was involved in that. You know, the last ten percent—that's actually the last ninety percent. See, I, I, I always had this thing of once, once I saw there was a huge team of competent people, I was like, wow, this, this is covered. Why don't I go work on something that, that no one's. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You in terms of, you're like, Hey, well now I've, I've done my job and I've got a bunch of great folks in here and now it's not, yeah, no, I understand that too. And, and maybe it's not problematic, you know, as such to recognize the individual. Cause that is the story that, that folks want to tell that's easy to tell. But it's it's really important to make sure that 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 individual here who you're recognizing is at least in sort of the top one or two or whatever or three you know that that you haven't missed the mark completely, and then you know I, I think the individuals who we respect the most or I respect the most in those are the ones who then when the spotlight is on them take that moment not to further themselves but to further those teams. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. And that's where you really get to like the, the responsibility of that spotlight having fallen upon you is to make sure that it's being. Uh, BCH, I see you getting in here. Yeah, well, I, it sounds like there's two classes of stories, right? One, like back to the Stonebreaker, for example, that's kind of a communications problem, right? Where you, if you want one guy, if you're talking about VCs or whatever, or publishing a story, it's you, you can't have eight guys to do a communications uh, effort and have it be coherent, but uh, separate from that, it doesn't incentivize necessarily uh, doling out credit, but the, the, a lot of the most interesting things that I um, kind of get into when you're tracing, chasing tech stories down is the other credits and it's kind of like having a good album and seeing well who is the drummer on this and what else did they work on or who produced this and what else did they do and so on and so forth and so uh it's good for me as a consumer but uh, i don't know if that necessarily incentivizes other people to give credit but it sure is nice to see for sure yeah i i and i love your uh, your drummer metaphor uh and so you would really like this book by Ernstein, by the way because he's very good i mean there's just he's very, uh, there's so many characters that kind of come into his life and his experience that he's always, uh, you, you would enjoy kind of following up on all of them um, because I think there's a lot of interesting people that I didn't know about um, that was fun to learn about. Um, so, but, yeah. You know, when we think about giving credit, you know, I was thinking about some examples from, from our history. You know, we think about D-Trace and we certainly did a lot of work to like, you know, write a bunch of the code and there are obviously others involved. Um, but then, you know, like Brendan Gregg wrote this whole toolkit and, and uh, O'Reilly book on it. And that helped tremendously. Um, you know, then I, then I think about the folks still working on pieces of it that, that, you know, I, I certainly haven't been contributing for, for kind of a while and really appreciate that folks are still keeping the lights on. Um, and then, you know, look at uh, another technology that we worked in around like ZFS, where Jeff Bonwick had this great idea in probably 
you know, 95, 96, 97, something like that. And, and Matt Aaron's 20 years later is still working on that technology. Yeah, which is, I mean, and I, and I think that, you know, we'd always felt, I, I think you and I had both had felt that, you know, Matt is an unassuming person and it can be kind of happy if other people are stepping in on, into the spotlight. But I know you and I had always felt that like he wasn't getting really his due. And honestly, it's been, it's been kind of nice to see in the last four and five years where I feel like Matt really has been at the epicenter of ZFS, which is where certainly he belongs as far as you and I are concerned. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, again, just the, the longevity of work that he's put into that project and making it a success and getting on lots of different platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is kind of like the, this is the neat thing about software too, in the ability to have a, to, to be working on a single body of software for a very long period of time. Um, I mean, I, I put great weight on that. I mean, I know it's not Thomas, you're saying it's kind of not for everybody, but um, I, I, that also to me is, is there's something special about that, which you don't always see. Um, you often get, get folks who are kind of like, or kind of one and done on a body of software. So I have, uh, just to give people the seven-minute warning, I have, uh, Adam, I want to be make sure we're much more mindful of your, <laughs> of your evening, largely because I'm afraid of your son. I, that's I, fair. I, that's fair. You and me both. Yeah, exactly. That's right. We, um, so we, uh, I, I know I saw, uh, Matt, you were getting in here. Other folks that wanted to get in here. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring up, because no one's brought it up so far this evening, and I'm surprised by it, uh, the Dream Machine. The book about J.C.R. Licklitter, um, he was kind of weaving his story. Kind of weaves through a bunch of the, a bunch of the different sort of plots that we've talked about this evening. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating you, bit. Yeah, have you read it? I mean, it's it's actually it's on my like literal physical. Oh my queue. god, it's a fantastic! It, yeah. It's one of the best. It's one of the best technology books I've read in years. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a delightful book. But one of the things that I think really stuck out about it was like the difference between making teams or building teams i guess back in those days because there was it was basically just all arpa money right and it was it wasn't even so much making teams as it almost was king making right because you had like that was the budget for technology in the country to a very large extent right so whatever you know whatever whatever projects and budgets flowed out of arpa really you know what i mean kind of drove the narrative of where things were going Right, so interesting. It's, you know, I wonder if the, like the like you know the, the the teams that were successful were kind of self-selected as the ones that kind of got funding. You know, and oh, this you know leg up from that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was a, you right. It was a very different way of kind of deciding who and what was successful. Right, in terms of you had uh, based on it was it's the it's ARPA making those decisions instead of yeah. the the market or universities or I'm, I, you know I'm not yeah. sure who the kingmakers are today. And it was, it was really neat. Like, it, like if you when it, it, the 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 story that the book tells essentially starts off with them just having infinity money and just throwing a million things at the wall, and then I can't remember the name that the the, the turn that they come up with. But when they the Pentagon finally started asking them to actually you know have some tangible results, I think it was battlefield readiness or something like that was the the, the watchword. And then <laughs> so all of a sudden, all of the projects kind of pivoted towards that. And everyone was trying to do things like language recognition or, you know, computer graphics or any of these things. And, you know, just trying to throw a, a battlefield readiness spin on it, you know, because the money was just so damned important for them. Yeah, and it is. I mean, especially when you look at some of those, uh, the term sheets, like you look at the original deck term sheet, you realize that private financing really was not a viable route. It was, um, 
you know, it, we, it, as easy as it is to deride venture capital, I'm very grateful for it. Not only, I mean, it puts meals on on all of our tables, but it's been a honestly a very important development is to get us out from underneath a, a, a defense money and be able to turn to, to private money in some regard. Of course, and there's a lot of minuses, but I think computer science departments really benefited from DARPA or ARPA or whatever it was. It definitely changes the dynamics of success, right? Yeah. It becomes less of a precondition and more of a nice to have. Yeah, and I think it's you know it's kind of interesting like with the funding models because you, you do kind of want a hybrid funding models. Um, you know, there are I mean I don't know about you strict defense funding clearly has its own and actually um, you know the uh, Ornstein takes us on very head on because the Vietnam War is happening and he's got very obviously easy or not obviously, but he's ardently against the war and he's having very mixed feelings about um, taking defense money for ARPANET, even though it feels like ARPANET is pretty far removed. Um, so there are clearly some issues there. And then there are some challenges when your funding sources are clearly strictly private and strictly academic. And I feel like all these funding sources have, have different strengths and weaknesses. And, and then you're right, venture capitalists um, sort of tacking into the the narrative of the hero inventor and the hero entrepreneur. So maybe ben, bending things uh, or, or people's willingness to share credit in the light, in the thought of you know getting the next round of funding or starting the next company. Yeah, I. I yeah, I'm trying to think. think like, I mean, ultimately, I think what VCs definitely care about is the success of the business. Fortunately, it seems to does seem to trump everything else. That's um, absolutely true. But how many times have you heard um, of some, you know, someone who was at the the front of the marching band, but heard actually it was their number two who did the work, totally, and and the number one is getting funded for their second or their third company, but um, but you know, if they don't bring this guy with them, then then they're kind of sunk. Totally. And I think so often, they, I mean, and this definitely has happened where, you know, you'll have someone who, you know, like this is a clutch, clutch, clutch hire. And it's someone that like, you know, VC will talk to you like, okay, like, I guess, sure. Like, really? Like, yes, really. Trust me. Like, I get it. Like, they're not the person that you're going to necessarily, you know, uh, pitch to an investor. But when it comes time, but pitching to, to investors and actually swinging the hammer and solving hard problems in the trenches are not the same skill set. And yeah, you have people that are um, that are extremely important, but deeply underappreciated uh, just because of uh, slight personality differences, really. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Adam, we're going to get you out of here on time. <laughs> How about that? Uh, and right on the button. Right on the button. Yes, well, hopefully I'm going to claw back some. Uh, I, again, I, I'm really. I actually don't know if I'm in more trouble with Josh or or, or Melissa, but you know, just really want to make sure that I get in no, everybody's good graces. It, no, it's great. The, the, these have been great, and uh, I, I'm all for letting the conversations go as far as they need to go. So, um, <laughs> all right, few. Well, thanks everybody. I, I, some great book recommendations. I actually now I, I need to get the uh, the Dream Machine. I think it's got to climb up the queue here. Looks like a great one. Thanks, everyone. All right, thanks, everyone.